What is up, Emily? We're in the deconstruction zone. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? You know, I'm doing all right. This is a new uh, a new mode for us. Live, on the air, interacting with people. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's new, but I'm excited. Hopefully some people who maybe haven't heard of our podcast before are here. And yeah. I think we're going to have a good talk. Yeah, and people that maybe don't care about our podcast but have questions about the topic we're talking about today, I think it could be fun. So I'm excited to Maybe dive people in. who hate our podcast are here. We might have some hate <laughs> listeners. I don't know what we're going to have, but whatever we have, it's going to be good. So today, though, so we're a part. Let's give context, right, yeah. to what's happening. Like you people, people watching on Facebook Live um, likely know this because they found the event, but maybe they stumbled across our Facebook page or mine, anyone that we've shared it. We're a part of the United Methodist Podcast-a-thon. Uh, and so there are several podcasts over the course of the week that are doing the same topic of disciple making. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, discipleship, disciple making. But we're a deconstruction podcast and we're a podcast mm. based around your journey uh, through deconstruction. And so I don't just want to fluff up the concept of yeah. discipleship and talk about how it's awesome and how we do it and give practice and practice and all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about the good, the bad and the ugly of it. Mm. And so what do you think about that? I think, honestly, before we even get into that, though, what I want to know is, like, what if you could define discipleship, how would you define it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so in a practical sense, like as a pastor, if someone came up to me and I was like, hey, I want you to join our discipleship pathway. And they're like, what the hell is discipleship? I would say discipleship at its core is, um, I don't know, like walking learning to walk more like Jesus. There was a Rob Bell video. Like, do you remember the NUMA videos? Do you remember those no. ever? Oh man, you're too young for that. Uh, so there's these big videos he put out. Uh, They're called NUMA videos. Like every youth group in the 90s and 2000s watched them. Watched and, Rob Bell videos? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah this Maybe before... your youth group did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yours, yours probably didn't. Um, <laughs> but one of them was called Dust. And it was talking about how like people that followed the rabbi were walking so close. They were like caked in the dust of the rabbi. Mm. Like they learned to like walk in the same steps and closely. And so in like an imagery sense, that's kind of what I feel like discipleship is like you're walking as close to and following the footsteps of Jesus. And in practical sense today, it's like we have leaders and pastors and people that are trying to model that. And so maybe you're following them as they're hoping to point to Jesus. If that makes sense. Like that would be my charitable description is like learning to walk in the way of Jesus. I think, I mean, I think that's a beautiful description. And I was going to say something kind of similar. Like, I feel like it's almost like conversion is step one and the discipleship is kind of the lifelong step two. Yeah. Of like, now you're, you like learn to talk the talk, you believe the beliefs, but now you're like, okay, now I'm going to, for lack of better terms, walk the walk. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Jeff Allen commented, he said, just so you know, to give you context, you don't know NUMA videos. Okay. Uh, he said these uh, were made by Rob Bell before he was considered progressive. So like, okay. people wouldn't have thought he was like, this was pre-Love Wins. And so people weren't like, he's like off the deep end. Like, okay. Um, as far as like traditional people, like I remember I worked at a church in Alabama, like a small Baptist church, first church I ever worked at. Uh -huh. And I quoted Rob Bell in a sermon and I've never seen a sermon go so wrong. <laughs> so because because he was like at that point he was like very he was seen as like off the deep end love wins it just came out people were like we're not for this guy um but it does that kind of content i think does create an interesting conversation around discipleship though because like that's what all of those whether you're francis chan or rob bell or nt right like what they're writing their books for at their core i would say are all 
to help people draw closer to Jesus, right? Mm. Every book, a Christian book in some ways is a discipleship book, right? It's trying to draw us closer to that, which I don't know that we always think about it like that, but in some ways it is, right? Like that's what they're trying to do for us. Yeah, I remember um, a Tim Keller quote to bring it to the PCA side of things. He said, and actually I really like this quote. um, He was like, if you're trying to be like Jesus, practice being near Jesus. Okay. And I thought that there was something like really kind of, it kind of sounds like the similarity of dust. Yeah. In a sense that it's it's almost hard to be so off the rails if you're right next to Jesus, like following him. Yeah. So here's what I want to know, like from your perspective. Yeah. So like, let's zoom back into 18 year old Emily's life. Like you're still very consumed. Coolest person I ever coolest met. Coolest person you've ever been. Uh, Ben, not Matt, Ben, like it's the pinnacle Emily. (laughs) Um, But you're like, you're entrenched in your version of spirituality. Mm -hmm. You're not only very bought into it, but you're Bible student of the year. So you're poster child of like your denomination. Yeah. And so if you could zoom back into where you were then, how would you describe what you knew to be true about discipleship then? I... When I was 18, I think I was really, really struggling with the idea of discipleship because, I mean, I was obviously a Calvinist. For those who don't know my story, diehard Calvinist, diehard, like, God chose me. I didn't choose God. And I remember I had a pastor around that time. I was like, I feel like the refrain of my life at 18 when I thought about discipleship because I just was getting really frustrated in, like, my sin um, cause I feel like for me, when I thought discipleship, I kind of ended up going about it by saying like, let me focus on all of my issues and then okay. one by one we'll like figure it out. And okay. it, that just wasn't happening. I likened it to like a Rubik's cube. I don't know how to solve a Rubik's cube, but so what I would do is I would like work really hard to get one side done and okay. then all the other sides get messed up. Right. And then I start a new side, but then the first side gets messed up. And that is the that is the image of like the stress I felt of like trying to do discipleship kind of on my own and trying to like get all my issues straight so I could be the best Christian I could be because yes, I'm already saved. I'm already going to heaven, but now we're entering into like the sanctification process of like becoming more like Jesus in my day-to-day practice. And I think I was just very, to me, I thought that shame was the mechanism for discipleship Mm. and that was like pretty brutal. That is That's that's brutal. Shame is the mechanism Mm. for discipleship. How, so as someone that's chosen, predestined, and elect by God because you chose the right, not you chose actually, but God chose you as a Calvinist. (laughs) When you think about discipleship in that, like if it's trying to be more like Jesus or it's trying to move the, like when you have no say in anything and you were like, how did did that impact your view of discipleship at all? Like, because it's God doing all the work for you. And so discipleship in some ways in Western culture, at least somewhat feels like it's our work to draw closer to Jesus, to be discipled more fully. Yeah. So how, was there any sort of disconnect in that or unique way you saw that? I think there was disconnect. And then I had a pastor say like, Emily, you believe that God, I'm actually interested in what you hear about, like what you think about this comment, but he was like, Emily, you believe that God is fully sovereign and in control over your justification or your salvation. Mm -hmm. Why do you, why do you not believe the same about your sanctification or your discipleship? Like okay. why if you believe that God did did your salvation basically all on him, you didn't really do anything. 
how is that any different in your discipleship? Like God is still completely in control. God is not all of a sudden like pass the baton to you. Right. And I think that did bring me some comfort in a sense that like, okay, if I trust God completely in my salvation and realized like I couldn't do anything on my own, I needed like God to come in and save me, then like that would be the same with discipleship for me. Like basically like I need God to do it because I can't do it on my own. So I guess then my follow up to that would be like, what does discipleship look like when God's doing all of the, the work? I think that's a, I was thinking the same thing. I thought you were going to ask me that. And I realized I don't really know. I think it just soothed a little bit of the shame and made me feel like it wasn't all landing on my shoulders. But in reality, like what it looked like, I mean, a lot of like intaking knowledge, you know, a lot of like reading my Bible and like burning myself out real quick because I was trying to read so much Bible every day. Right. And um, just like every time I felt like I, messed up or even just like had a thought that I didn't think was right. I was like, oh, like, I mean, that is just overwhelming. I think, you know, like when Paul says, like, I do not do the thing that I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Uh-huh. Like, I think that that hits on a really real feeling yeah. when you are in like the throes of discipleship and you're feeling just a lot of shame is just like, I just keep doing what I don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And in some way, like, it's funny because the shame rubric that you had growing up like you talk about that a lot like you saw your life and faith through shame Uh, but that's not unique to just your upbringing like a lot of christians of all denominations i think feel that and i think that does make an interesting look at discipleship like if shame is the ultimate motivator right like if discipleship ultimately means and no one ever says this even in the most fundamentalist to the most progressive no one ever says this but shame is what kind of motivates you right like it's like if you're not getting to look more like Jesus, there's something wrong with your practice and what you're doing. And so then you start Mm. to feel shame about that. And it's like, well, then how do I draw closer? And I've always been interested in trying to figure out like, how do we, like Jesus spoke plainly and Jesus spoke like challenge. He challenged the people he was talking to, but shame wasn't his rubric for like moving people closer to him. It was like kind and direct teaching. Well, I think kind of, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Like, I think what I, as I'm processing this with you of a sense that I thought that discipleship looked like me focusing on the issues and trying to fix the issues. And Mm -hmm. in reality, like studies show that that just doesn't work. I mean, I remember I had like a, a volleyball coach and she was like, instead of like, she was like, right now, all of you are probably pondering like, Oh my God, I'm probably gonna mess up all this. And she was like, what I want you guys to do is imagine yourself making like the perfect bump and the perfect set and the perfect, hit or spike spike. yeah (laughs) um and she was like because that gets your mind like you focusing on the good instead of the bad is actually gonna like help you be better and do better and so i think like i think that was almost the biggest issue is that i thought discipleship meant like okay i focus on the problem areas and like work on those versus like how do i almost like take my eyes off of that and like focus on the good and try to hone more of that. Like even as a teacher, they tell us like, don't say, don't do this. Like tell us, tell them what to do. Yeah. And, Cause it, to focus on the negative behavior only amplifies it. Yeah. I, so as you're saying that I was like immediately started thinking about the execs or similar type thing of being a parent, right? yeah. like how I'm raising my, my three kids and 
Annie and I just had this conversation last night about like my desire to lead with grace over shame. And it's like, Mm. it doesn't mean that things they've done to step out of what we're trying to raise them in is we shouldn't address those things, but it does come down to like a, how are you going about it? And what is ultimately motivating and at the, the core of it, like not just like kind words motivate us more, but like, why should someone be motivated to be more like Jesus or mm. like my kids? Like, why should they be motivated to do the right thing or your students? Why should they be motivated to not be jerks in class? Right. Or to stay on assignment. Right. And I think that, I don't know if we talk about that enough, right? Like when you think about your version of discipleship, like yeah. it sounds like shame motivated you. Yeah. Right? And I'm really, I'm really interested in what you said about like, why should we be motivated? And it made me think yeah. of the song, like the classic hymn, Jesus paid it all. That's all like, to him I owe. all to him I owe. And to me, I think that is honestly kind of how I saw it is just like, okay, well, I owe him my obedience because of what he did for me. Yeah. And I'm maybe that isn't inherently like incorrect theology. However, I think that I mean, I'm, I'm, again, I didn't watch this video, but I'm going back to this like Rob Bell dust video of just being so close and being so like compelled to live like Jesus. Like you're so close to the rabbi. Again, I love that I'm quoting this video. I haven't seen (laughs) you're so close to the rabbi and you're just like, I love what he's doing. And I'm thinking like, I feel like there are pretty few moments where Jesus outright says like, stop doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he'll say, like, you brood of vipers or, like, you know, you yeah. have little faith. Like, there are a few times he where he's like, go and sin no more, right? But, he, like, he oh, will continue what you're going to say. But so. usually he, like, is telling a story and showing, like, the yeah. good side. Or he, like, paints a broader picture. I think I think it's more rare when I think about the Gospels of Jesus as being, like, stop doing that and then walking away. Yeah. Not that that doesn't happen. But I think that that's rarely the method Jesus uses mm. when he thinks of like, because when I think of discipleship and maybe this is wrong, but I think of like, how can I, how can we get our actions to match up with our beliefs? Yeah. I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod before, but so, but I preached about this yesterday or last Sunday on at the well about the par- parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I don't know mm. if we've ever talked about that on this pod before, but I'm not sure we have, um, but the story is interesting, right? So like a, uh, uh, Jesus says he's like telling it to an audience that is really confident in their own salvation and also thinks everyone else sucks essentially. Right. Mm. So the Pharisee walks in and you can imagine everyone listening to the story, like imagines the Pharisees, the good guy in the story and the tax collector is the bad guy. Like one's an extorter, a liar works for the oppressive government. The other is the religious elite. And Jesus says the Pharisee walks in, prays to himself, says, thank God I'm not an adulterer and evildoer. And especially not like this jabroni tax collector over here. And then the tax collector walks in and he's like, just have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Like he stands in the back, falls on his face, very humble. And I talked about it in terms of humility. But what I kind of touched on at the end of the sermon was when we think about it in terms of discipleship, Jesus only ends it and says like one person walks away justified, which is the tax collector. But I think we would often want to see him come back the next day looking more like the Pharisee because that's what discipleship looks like. Like he's going to church more he's not extorting he's crushing it and he knows that he's better than other people so he's like now i'm not like the evildoers and the tax collectors and the crooks and the adulterers and i do think it's interesting like how we look at discipleship and growing in relationship with jesus being justified jesus looking at us with kind eyes like jesus just says one person walks away and there's no 
to be continued. There's no let's follow up a month later and see how he's doing. It's like this guy walked away because his posture was one of like, God, show me grace. Help me get better to hitting the mark, but I'm going to keep missing the mark. And that's kind of what I think like discipleship should look like. But for us, I think we're like, we want to see it look more like the Pharisees where it's like, I'm crushing it across the board. Can I play devil's advocate a little bit? Please do. I am a hundred percent with you. I think, I think when I heard that story growing up and even now I think of like one of them acknowledges a need and the other one doesn't, the other one's like, I'm crushing it. However, when I hear like the tax collector going like, God have mercy on me a sinner. And I think he like tears his clothes. Right. Yeah. Like I also see shame there. Yeah. But I think that's like, that's, so I said this in the message, like, I don't love like his self shame and that, like, yeah. I don't think, but it's also like, he's it's kind of a lot. He's <laughs> also aware that like it's, we see it as shame. That's culture. Like he did culturally normal things that were like yes. repentant acts of like beating his chest, tearing his clothes, things we look at and like, holy hell, I would never do that. But like, that's like him being humble and self-aware. He's mm -hmm. like, here are all the things I'm doing that are not in line with where God wants me to be. And I think, if I was being more charitable to what's happening and not being like, this is really shameful. Like he's just being like, I get it. Like I'm not the cream of the crop and his humility and self-awareness was what led to transformation. Not like doing better things, you know? And we think discipleship mm, means okay. doing better things. So, but isn't that kind of what it means? That's not what Jesus says in the story at least. But he says one of them walks away justified. Not one of them walks away discipled. But just like that's part and parcel, right? They're kind of the same thing, right? Like kind of he's drawing, thing. like he's aware of his, his sin and he's drawing closer to Jesus because of it. Like I and think the discipleship will naturally happen. Maybe like, I think that's what is interesting about it, right? Yeah. We're the ones that have classified the, the steps. Like I was just on a church's website and they're like, this is our discipleship model. It's like, and they're like, this is super biblical. And it's like, but where, like it's, the same thing with the Trinity. The Trinity is not explicitly said anywhere in the scripture. We've made that framework up, right? Like this whole idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like it's never explicitly said, like there is this thing called the Trinity. Mm, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so we have done the same thing with discipleship. Like we take stories and paths and procedures and we make them hyper prescriptive and say, this is what it means to be discipled. And I think I just look at all the stories like this one and other ones that are just like people slowing down. And like Mary being at the feet of Jesus rather than being busy like Martha. Like I think about stories like that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just going through things I've recently preached. It's just funny. But oh, like I think those are like those are much less actionable and way more just like embracing Jesus' presence as the act of discipleship. Mm, and like your your posture toward almost like your posture toward Jesus and your posture toward discipleship. Yeah. Because I think Martha is Martha the one that was cooking. Yeah. I mean, she probably thought that she was like being a dope disciple. Yeah. She was probably like, I'm nailing it. Mary is lazy. And, you know, like all that. When yeah. Reality... Well, it's the same thing as like the prodigal son and the older brother, right? Absolutely. Like, it's like he's like, I've been home crushing it. And he, the father in that story is like, you had all the kingdom. You essentially, like you could read it like you've had all, you've been discipled and had all the opportunities to do these things, but you've been blinded by other people's cheap admission into the club that's like bothering you right like yeah and i think that's when we if i was gonna boil down what bothers me about discipleship when i it's 
I think when we start to do our own journey and we see our own progress, we become very perturbed at other people's easy entry into the process because we want them to pay as much as we paid. I mean that, I mean that this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I also think it's kind of a poignant image of the, I was just listening to a podcast episode about sororities and fraternities and how like the, the cycle of hazing continues because even when they say like hazing is banned, the people before them said, well, that was my barrier to entry. So now it needs to be yours. And I think that there is, like resentment in some ways unavoidable in that. Yeah. yeah. Unless you realize that like everyone's barrier to entry is simply like what the tax sector did, which was knowing his need. Right. Yeah. I think we've been told whether you're really conservative, or really progressive. I think most churches in the eighties, nineties and thousands that many of us in our audience has grown up in, like we had a barrier to entry, like come in, get your life together and then you have become a disciple, right? Mm-hmm. I think about, I've talked about my dad's story before. Right? Like I felt like when he was crushing it, he was elevated to the story of great transformation and he was like ostracized when he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, but I think like when that has happened to us, when we finally reached the inside, we can't imagine anyone else coming in a way separate than ours because of that like, that frustration, right? And that like, I want other people to experience what I experienced. And so it's like somewhat our discipleship model isn't based in like shame from God to us. It's like the shame we put on other people to be like, you have to do what I did Um, to be like me. Yeah, which probably means we don't really think it's worth it because like, I think there's something kind of messed up if we're just like, I want you to experience what I did because it sucked. Like almost like, I feel like if, if we believed like, okay, that is our story and that, is beautiful, but it's not everyone's story. And there were really hard moments. Like if we just think it's like an annoying thing you have to get through, then yeah, we're going to want everyone to do it or we're going to think it's not fair. Right. But something I want to go back on that you said, you kind of like, like threw this out there and thought it was a really cool point, which is you said, what we often do is we take people's stories and make them prescriptive. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a hundred percent right on the money of like when any church is ever saying, okay, that's maybe a big statement, but like, if someone says like this method of discipleship is biblical, it probably is. It probably, you could probably find it in the Bible if you looked for it, Yeah. but that doesn't mean it's everyone's story. Right. For example, like I don't like Peter was def is definitely, I think a case of discipleship. He was a fisherman. And then Jesus was like, come become a fisher of man. Follow me. Right. One, that's not what is said to everyone when they enter discipleship. Right. Then it's not part of the process of like, and then you deny Jesus three times and then (laughs) he makes you breakfast on the beach. And that like, do you know what I'm saying though? But that, even though that sounds kind of like funny, (laughs) I wish that was the method. Am I right? But like, um, even though that sounds kind of funny, that's what we do in a lot of ways is we say like, Mm. well, this is a process we see in one particular story. And so that has to be for everybody. Right. Yeah. And I think it's just like, it's a case of, the human experience, right? Yeah. Like we were dumb creatures that are simple and that's kind of what we want, right? It's like, what's the one size fits all for people? And like we talked about the rich young ruler at church, right? A few, were you there that Sunday? A few weeks ago? I don't think so. And well, I said something like, everyone's like, well, this means we all need to sell our possessions and become like, and like, it's not that prescriptive. Like that was no. a barrier to entry for that guy for him. because he's like, I followed all the rules correctly since I was a boy, I've done all these things. And just like, well, it seems like there's one thing in the way for you. Right. And the 
common thing through all these stories. Like you kind of have to surrender something, mm -hmm. but this, what you're surrendering, whether it's pride or money or, or whatever is different for everyone. I think that's, in some way, like we have to do this. And I, this is Danny putting on his pastor hat. Like some ways we have to simplify things and make it one size fits all because it's way easier to articulate. Sure. But in doing that, we are like completely shortchanging the, just how compelling the gospel story is mm. by trying to make it fit Saddleback Sally and Saddleback Sam, right? Like it becomes way too one size fits all. And then we miss what we're doing. And I think the end of it, which as you were talking about something earlier, I was like, I think the end is like, we're just not really discipling people. Like if you get through it and you're like, I want to haze you the way I was hazed. That's not, you weren't discipled. Yeah. You were hazed. And you got to the other side and like, Dang. I want people to do what I did. You were discipled. You were hazed. Put it on a sticker. Put it on a sticker. Um, So I think as like, so I think about oftentimes though, when we see, I'm kind of trying to find a common like thread though, maybe through these stories we're talking about. Yeah. Which is often I do think something in discipleship is something needs to be let go of. Mm -hmm. And like even think about the guy who is like, oh, first I just have to go like bury my mom. And then Jesus is like, let the dead bury themselves, <laughs> yeah. which is like kind of a lot. And you don't see all Christians not burying people like that right. wasn't the message for that guy. At least is how I've been taught it. it like for that guy, he kind of kept making excuses of like, well, this is all of my responsibilities. And yeah. Jesus is kind of being hyperbolic in a sense of saying like, there's a point in which you got to just make this choice and there's yeah, going to be things left undone. Be something. Yeah. So I think for me, when I think about my own story, what was let, what I had to leave behind in some sense was like religion in order to be a disciple. Mm. Like that's to me, that's what this podcast has been about is like, we said from the beginning that deconstruction is discipleship, but in a sense it was me like letting go of all these different things that I thought I needed to bring with me in order to get like be like in order to be pleasing to God. Yeah. And like, it's almost, it's interesting that almost like part of Christianity is what I had to like let go in order to actually be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. I'd be, that's a really, so I'd be interested to shift our conversation. Yeah. This, right. To we, we've kind of taken a, a hate dump on discipleship for the Boo! last 23 okay. minutes. And so I want to shift it to, to a more charitable conversation. Yeah under the the guise of that like what if we believe and we've we've beat this drum like that we believe discipleship yeah. and deconstruction are, are connected uh -huh. um or should be like you don't have to deconstruct to be discipled but for a lot of people they're told deconstruction is sin we're mm -hmm. advocating for it being a path to deeper discipleship and connection to your faith being more deeply personal and less prescriptive like how has that been for you like how have you found shedding religion and deconstructing as and again like this is i'm almost asking you to be prescriptive and so i understand like what i'm doing here but like how have you seen your journey of deconstruction be more life-givingly discipling than yeah. what you did before i think for me so i okay so if discipleship is like in a sense following jesus or like like that rob so bell video you know that you love so much <laughs> my favorite video <laughs> um but like if discipleship is just like, like kind of I said with the Tim Keller quote, instead of thinking about being like Jesus, just like focus on being near him and you'll mm -hmm. end up being like him. Yeah. I think when I actually thought about what does it look like for me to just like draw near to Jesus and I started seeing all of the ways that he 
pushed back against what was like the religious norm of the day. Um, I think like the first sermon I ever gave at the well, I talked about how Jesus said like, you've heard it said this, but I say this. Mm -hmm. And I remember like that was so powerful to me when I think of like, so, so for me to like look like Jesus, for me specifically, like that looks like thinking about what I've heard said and thinking about what Jesus actually says. Mm. And like that is discipleship because in a sense, like I did what Jesus like kind of asks the people at the Sermon on the Mount to do. But it's something that I never necessarily, I never thought that those could contradict each other. That re- like what religious messaging was and what Jesus is saying could contradict each other. Yeah. And I think that was the moment. I think that's why deconstruction can be discipleship is because in a sense, I think what deconstruction not always is, but I think what it can be, if it, it looks like discipleship is to say like, okay, church and Jesus aren't the same thing. Yeah. And for me to like, instead of being discipled to church and being a follower of the church or the follower of my denomination or the follower of like a certain pastor to say like, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And when I like, I'm like Dustin, I feel like said like, he's like, Jesus is so dope. Like he was like a rebel. And just, and yeah. like that, to me, that is such a beautiful image of like following Jesus versus following church. And I think, that freaks people out to hear that. But I think that that is when you're actually following Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm interested in all, like there's so many different things. This yeah. is, so I don't know if this is an interesting direction to go on, but I'm thinking back to our second episode ever, which was booty calling the Bible. Yeah. Uh, where I would argue that you were like, you were in a relationship with the Bible and you were being discipled by the Bible, which is not, bad right because it includes the words of jesus Mm -hmm. but have you seen any contradiction in that like where it was like the father son and holy bible for you right it was like your trinity included the bible the bible in some way was more an idol than it was anything else like has there been any like you named the church and having to pull some of that away to be more like jesus where have you seen that in the bible because like and like i think the bible is ultimately valuable and really really wonderful and such an, an interesting an integral book to our faith. Like you can't have Christianity without the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think we make the Bible the most important thing. And that was what it was for you. Like you snuggled up to your Bible for years. I did. Yeah. That's like not a joke, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, <laughs> I, I think you're right on the money there. And that I, when I looked at the Bible, I think I thought Jesus started and ended there um, in a sense mm. that like, Jesus could be contained in a however many thousand page book. Yeah. And, and there was no need for any sort of like engagement with it. Cause it was like, whatever it said and the pastor told you about it was what it was. And honestly, there was no need for any sort of spirituality mm-hmm. um, because it was just like, I read about it and I was like, cool. I remember I had a pastor say like, it's stupid that we have red letter Bibles. Like it should all be red letters because it's like all, if it's all God's word, it's all the word of Jesus, mm. which is like, okay, the heart of that is kind of neat. But there is, I also think there is something powerful about like focusing on like Jesus who came down here. Like, what did he, what did he actually say? Yeah. Um, because I think Rob Bell, like he showed me, I mean, his book, What is the Bible? I find fantastic. And yeah. I think um, that, that really helped me see that like, okay, sometimes what the Bible says is human interpretation of things. Like maybe right. God didn't strike someone down. Maybe someone like got, 
something happened to someone after they had done something crappy and someone was like, God struck them down. But it's like, like that example always stands out for me from that book in a sense that, okay, sometimes we are reading human interpretation of like a lot of different things, but to like sit with Jesus's words. And these aren't even all Jesus's words, but these are the words that people decided to write down because they compel people. Right. I mean, I think there's so much beauty in that, but I think this wasn't even the answer I was expecting to give. But when I think about it is like when the Bible was everything to me, I didn't need anything else. And now I take a lot of pride in like weaving a rich tapestry from maybe like different faith systems or just different like modes of spirituality that like are bigger than the Bible. And I think like what I had to learn is that the Jesus can show up in ways that don't include like that aren't just from a page. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I was like pushing. I was like, cause the Bible includes the stories and the words of Jesus and the all in the 66 books are larger in other, other traditions, like the story of God in us. Right. Yeah. But oftentimes like it just becomes words on a page, right. And static. And it's not really, it's like we're reading a textbook about, a historical event, but there's no like relational aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And if there is a relationship, it is with you and your textbook, not with like an eternal God. And I think that's an interesting thing is like when you watch people that are really tied to the literalism of the book, I wonder how connected they are to like the person of Jesus, you know? Well, and I remember when I finally pushed back on that, like my senior year of college or whatever, and I was telling a pastor, I was like, I was like, if you read everything I wrote, you wouldn't know me. Mm. And he was like, uh, you can't really say that. Like the Bible is the word of God. So it is God. And I was like, but no. And also like Jesus is the word of God. Right. It says the word became flesh. The Leo Tolstoy wrote the like this book called the gospels in brief where he, um, and now I'm going to forget what he, he, um, he says the comprehension of God became flesh. Mm. And I think there's something really beautiful about that is that like the word of God, which we, we have been promised and we promise, what are we promised that the word of God is living and active? Like yet yeah, Jesus is living and active. That's different than like this book. Yeah. Not that the book doesn't have value, but of course we would want to worship the book because it's tangible and finite and it has a start and an end time. Right. And it makes us feel like we are maybe bigger than God because we're bigger than this book. Right. And like you went over this quickly, but like, I feel like it's clean, right? It's like, it's just, it's clean. It's cut and dry. It was what I said about the Holy spirit. Like really early on, I was like, you can't, what did I say? You can't predict it. it. You can't predict it. So why just, why pretend, how about I just pretend it doesn't exist so I don't have to be like, maybe this is the Holy Spirit, maybe it's not. Yeah. There's no natural way to do this, but I do want to catch up on some comments. Yeah. uh, Just so you know. So, uh, and they're all from from Jeff, who I know Jeff. I don't know if you know Jeff or not. Did I meet him at the UMC thing? I don't think so. Okay. Hey, Jeff. But he, uh, he said... Calvinists only like the parts where Jesus flexes. I just thought that was funny. Oh. <laughs> like I remember only hearing those parts, and like as I read, I was like, I think that's actually like yeah. pretty true. It's uh-huh. like where Jesus is like strong and flexing on people. It's like that's the uh, thing. And then he just said, he said, "There's a relationship with the, you and your textbook." And then he just kind of requoted that. He said, mm. "Dang!" Afterwards, but yeah, I think it's. Uh, I mean, but like that. I'm sorry. Like that's not a relationship to science. If I like loved my science textbook. Yeah. That's not a beauty for the world and how the world works. Yeah. There's no relationship with there. Right. And also like reading about photosynthesis in a science and then watching it or like different things or like seeing it unfold over the course of time. Like reading something is different than 
yeah seeing it and experiencing it and i think that's how i feel jesus is like in my life jesus is important and experiential not just like knowledge to be consumed mm. and there's certain traditions that are, and this all does connect to discipleship in some ways like i think discipleship isn't getting smarter and holding more knowledge discipleship is like witnessing the beauty of jesus in front of you and not just reading about it on pages and i know for me personally like i had my faith started with experiencing jesus and then i went to seminary and read a lot about him and i was like i don't know like i actually like i took a downturn in my yeah. faith i feel like and then it was like i experienced jesus more again i was like this is what i want to figure out how i do more of it's like rest in jesus and experience him and not just like read about him i think that actually honestly that like hit really close to home because i think i've been in a spot like currently in my faith where i felt frustrated because i don't really feel like i'm growing mm. and i just i guess i feel a little bit stagnant right now in my faith journey and that I'm just kind of like where I'm at. But I think I'm actually really encouraged to hear you say that because I think for so long to grow in my faith meant to grow in knowledge. And so like, I think that even though maybe it's less tangible and it's not, okay, I read from page five to page 20, like I grew, I discipled myself 15 pages. Right. It's like, I, like I'm, learning and i'm growing or i'm not like maybe i'm not learning i'm not growing in knowledge but i'm growing and experiencing jesus every day and that is growth and that is discipleship even though it's it can't be as quantified and that's tricky for me yeah i think we think like if we were making a graph like we think this is discipleship and like for me i yes. experienced it like i took a downturn i still think that was a part of it like journey but yeah discipleship is far more jeremy bearing me than it is up and to the right you know what i mean <laughs> I think we should just play the good place. Yeah, for right. Cue <laughs> the good place. We used Jeremy Bearing Me before as an example for something. I think we've done it like two or three times. We love the good place. I'm started rewatching it again. Really? I've been thinking about rewatching it. Um I cry every time I watch it. Really? I watched it when I went through my divorce, and so I go back to it and I get and now I have a torn ACL again. It's all getting sucked back into the worst season of my life. <laughs> as I watch it. So maybe I should stop watching it. So it's like it. your favorite show, but you're just like, Well, this is bringing back all the memories. Yeah. Um but no, I think I think Jeremy Barami and I think if we ever like got tattoos, I think I would get a Jeremy Barami tattoo because mm. I think there's something so profound and poignant about the idea that things aren't linear and I think we want them to be. But in reality, if you like think about Jeremy Barami as this like constant loop, everything is growth, even when something is a downturn mm. and everything is, <laughs> everything is part of the journey. Like for real. Yeah. For anyone that doesn't know, this is a reference Sorry. to The Good Place. And I'm going to like kind of, it's like a guy's name, but it like loops around. It's like a signature. And they're saying like, that's the journey of time and life. And yeah. when you think about it like this. Someone's like, is time linear? And they're like, oh no, it's, it looks a lot like a signature of Jeremy Barami. Yeah. And so they kind of say like, oh, in five Jeremy Barami's will be here. It kind of right. becomes this like quirky, whimsical thing. But I think right. it holds a lot of really important truth. Right. But when we think about like faith that way, like, I think how much more charitable and kind would we be to other people if it was Jeremy bearing me and it mm. wasn't like, well, I've, I've watched less porn this week or I've stopped drinking or I've yeah. read my Bible more. Like if it was, or I did drink this week. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if it was far more or far less linear, like how, and look at like Pete, you talked about Peter. He is Jeremy bearing me, right? Like he's 100%. all over the place. And even after Jesus' death, he is still screwing it up. 
but he's getting more disciples. And what did Jesus say about Peter on this rock? I will build my church. Like, that's not what you say about a screw up. Or maybe it is what Jesus says about screw ups, but it's like. Well, I think that's another interesting thing to consider yeah. is like you would say like, and that's on the nose, right? Like yeah. we wouldn't say that, about, but it's like, that's who Jesus chose. He did not choose A-listers. He chose B-listers to build his church. And he chose people that messed up more than they got it right. Well, I mean, I think it's yes and. I think Jesus chooses B-listers. And also, I think sometimes what we would consider B-listers are still actually on a really beautiful journey, even though they might be on, like, the downfall. Like, mm -hmm. when Peter is, like, yeah, nailing this and then, like, falls before he walks on water, everyone would be like, ugh. But really, he's just, like, totally still on that journey. Yeah. That wasn't, like, a failure until the success. It wasn't. It's right. making me think of like the Superman ride. Like I think sometimes we think of like, are you going up? Or are you going down? Right. But it, it's so everything is part of the journey and everything is moving forward. Mm. There's no backward motion in discipleship. I think that's really encouraging, actually. Yeah. Do you believe that to be true? I think I do. I think I really believe that. Like that there. I don't think I always believe that. But I think I think for so long, I think when I started deconstruction, I saw this as like a detour or like, okay, I just honestly need a break to like figure some stuff out and yeah. then I'll be back on track to just the nice Up upward. The right, yeah. yeah. But in reality, I think what I've learned in this whole journey and seeing how this journey may not ever really end and maybe it's not meant to is that it's all actually moving forward. Mm. And that's why our tagline of embracing the journey like has been so beautiful even though the journey hasn't been what either of us thought it would look like, yeah, is that it is all forward motion, even when it feels stagnant or it feels backward because yeah. we're still moving forward and we're still experiencing like the goodness and faithfulness of God, even when it doesn't feel like it. Mm, I dig that. Well, we're, we're at 40 ish minutes right yeah. now. And so uh, we're keeping this under an hour. And so I want to wrap us up. Love it. Um, but for anyone that like just tuned in like live right now, like this will live on our, our podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll probably release it sometime in the next week, uh, either as next week's episode or yeah. just as a bonus or something. Um, but you can go back and watch it on Facebook as well, but it'll be on our stream. But I want to end uh, the way we always do uh, with a little recommendation station. Okay. I actually have something to talk about. You do. I watched Elemental again and I 100% agree with what you <laughs> said. So if people don't haven't been listening. Yeah, if you didn't listen to last week, you were like, oh, actually, this hasn't even come out. The elemental, oh really, shame episode hasn't come out yet. <laughs> so long story short, I think it's disjointed, and not that good of a story. And it kept going back to the the break in the wall. Yeah, honestly, I was like, this movie is great. Danny's wrong. I watched it with my sister, and I was like, oh my god, get over the wall. Like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> we keep going back to it. We keep fixing it and breaking it. Like, can we have like one singular story? Yeah. So my recommendation zone is just like I agree with your take on Elemental. <laughs> I like that. What about yours? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I um I went back and watched Elemental, and I loved it. Uh, no, I thought the wall was a great part of the story. No, um, I this is not a new recommendation, but I'm going to recommend The Good Place. I love it. Yeah. I want to rewatch it. I want everyone to rewatch it. I think it's really, really good. Um, I'm digging on it right now. And it, I don't know, there's something about just its light and humorous look at the like most terrifying thing for most of humanity mm. that I really appreciate. And whether you're like religious or irreligious, like, I think it makes a conversation about the afterlife accessible. Yeah. Um, and whether you believe in a literal heaven or hell or you're a Christian or a Buddhist or an atheist, like, I think we all 
whether we admit it or not, ponder Afterlife. And I think I've really appreciated that show. Um, and I don't subscribe to all its beliefs, but it makes me yeah. laugh. And I think it's really funny. I probably, I watched it when I was a fundamentalist. So I probably should like watch it and just wept at the end. Cause I was like, they don't get the truth. And so <laughs> oh, I wept at the end. Cause I was like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> so I feel like I should watch it again now. Like it probably would mean something different to me. So you, when it ended where you're like, this is such a letdown. I was like, it's a letdown. And also like, this is the best you can do without Jesus is what I was like okay. saying to my friends. But yeah. I listened to um, an interview with Michael Schur, the creator uh -huh. of it with Pete Holmes. And it is really fascinating the way that he like processes it to hear him talk about it is really important. I, if I'm just now like getting into it, I thought it was, I thought they could have done a better ending. It actually felt a little bit like elemental the ending just kept dragging and but i think also like it played into the storyline of what they were all feeling about their exodus from where yeah. they were like it dragged because that was what they were feeling in the lived experience i think but well and michael sure basically says like he was like it kept going on because we kept not being able to figure out the perfect ending right to eternity yeah. and it's like okay i mean that's not the point yeah you yeah. know i love that show i um, love it so much so watch it and don't watch, watch elemental watch elemental <laughs> but just understand there's gonna be a stupid wall <laughs> that they keep talking about <laughs> um, um well, all right well that, i think we've done what we came here to do this yeah, was fun this was a um, good conversation i want to say thank you to the podcastathon united methodist communications yeah. for doing this with us uh our boy ryan dunn helping produce he's not on the screen but he's helping make this happen dustin bryson Always behind the mic, making things happen. Um, this has been fun. And I and think we'll Lizelle do it. making things happen. Thanks for taking me. Well, you're always here. So. <laughs> this is good. I want to do this kind of thing again. Maybe we'll do more live Facebook stuff. Yeah, I dig it. In the future. So, um, Well, yeah, this has been really awesome. Um, I'm excited to have been here. And as always, thanks for listening and embrace the journey. One thing that I thought about is I don't know how we end this. Do I just Oh, leave, well, do I just we, we're studio? done. So, we're done. <laughs> Do I just end? I don't do you have the power to do that?